0: Our time with our Savior, with the disciples, the crowd, the multitude, all gathered on the temple mount, or excuse me, on the mount of, there at the Sea of Galilee, and as they're kind of scattered around the hillsides, all maybe looking at one another, talking to each other, you can imagine, like like we do, they were probably asking each other questions you know did you hear him say that did you hear him say this you know the things that the lord has already said in the beatitudes he's already reminded us in these parables as he's spoken and then he he gets to this prayer which becomes to us an outline a model a way for us to understand our incredible access that we have to god the father these Mir in English, translated from the Greek, uh, simply 72 words. And those 72 words speak of a relationship that we have with God that he delights in, that he loves, that, that he's waiting for us to say, Abba, Dad, Father, Oh God, tell me what it is that you want me to do, what you want me to be. Tell me how your kingdom can come and how your will can be done. Right here, right now. Bring it. We know it's coming sooner or later. We know your ultimate purposes will be accomplished as he's reminded us that that we're to seek him on a daily basis and look to him for that provision as we saw last time, make sure you remember what comes next. I think as we get to verse 12 and we pick up here, the Lord says something that is often misinterpreted. It's taken to a place that uh, it's not intended Because there's no doubt about our position as God's kids. And so as he says, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's speaking into an area of our lives that's so monumentally important for our relationship with him. God delights to have a wonderful, open, flowing relationship with his children. And that relationship needs to be cared for. And it needs to be tenderly cared for. And so as Jesus continues, In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As soon as he finishes, he elaborates... On one subject. As soon as Jesus says Amen, he elaborates on one subject. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither Will your Father forgive your trespasses? Why would Jesus say that? Is forgiveness conditional? It's a crazy question, isn't it? Isn't grace the free gift of God, and aren't we forgiven as God's children? Aren't we going to heaven? Is he talking about that kind of forgiveness? Jesus elaborates for a point because the real purpose of this prayer is to remind us of who we are in him. And in order to be in him, we must be forgiven. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful that you took the time to elaborate to the disciples this incredible picture. And we just ask simply now that as we spend some time thinking and praying and, and pondering your word, the power of it, that you transform our, our thinking, God, transform our lives, our relationships with the power of the pardon the forgiveness that we have. And so, Lord, we commit this remaining time to you. It's yours. And in a special way, we just simply ask you to speak into our lives this amazing truth. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name at which one day all knees, every knee, will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his name we pray, amen. And so God's pardon in prayer, our our fifth portion, God's pardon in prayer. And we're going to be looking at a very deep subject tonight, one that as, as I alluded to is often misinterpreted because you can take this verse and you can almost say, well, if I don't forgive other people, then I'm probably going to hell. And that's not what it says. But it is so monumentally important that if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to have God's best, then you need to get rid of the stuff that you're carrying around. Because the person that doesn't walk in the forgiveness that you so freely received from him ultimately is a miserable Christian. And a person that can't articulate that forgiveness by being a forgiver is an especially miserable person. Remember that this is a full chronology. This, this simple prayer speaks first to our physical life, to our present circumstances, to our daily bread. This second portion speaks to our mental life, our emotional life, and our past debts because every last one of us if you're here tonight and you are the redeemed of the lord say "I, I, man i i am saved by god's grace through faith that's not of myself it's a it's his gift to us as his kids i didn't earn it i can't earn it i don't deserve it i never will deserve it i have been freely given his grace But in order to give me that free grace, he also has to bear my sin and forgive it. I have to be judicially pardoned. I have to have my slate wiped clean. You see, because ultimately, you could take one minor sin, get to the door of heaven if there were such a place, and it'd keep you out. So praise God, when you get there, you're going to have none. Zero, zip, nada, null set, void, ain't going to happen. That's that cleansing flow that washes us and cleanses us. The third piece which we'll get to next week is that spiritual life, our future existence, and that temptation, that evil that Satan tries to trip us up with. But this week, man, every one of us tonight needs his pardon. Amen? Man, I need his pardon. And you know what? I needed his pardon today. I needed his forgiveness today. You need his forgiveness today. Not not for your last week's sins, for your today's sins for your snippy attitude, for that thought you had in the back of your mind that doesn't belong in the life of a believer, for that time when you're sitting there thinking about some circumstance, some situation, and into your mind comes those pieces of the past. That stuff, that junk, that old man, that old woman. Now, praise God, that old person, that old man, that old woman is dead. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? Amen. And the life that I now live, I live unto him. Amen? Amen? You see, so we do have that new life, but we still get dirty every once in a while. Amen? Amen. We still need his cleansing. Not so that we can remain saved, not so that we can earn his approval, but so we can have the right relationship with him. And it's very simple for us to understand. Whether you have children, all of you at one time were children, otherwise you wouldn't be here, amen? And so you had a relationship with your parents, do you remember those days when you did something that wasn't quite what you were supposed to do. Like in my case, we made a merry-go-round for our cat, and it involved one of those old clotheslines that everyone had in the 60s in the backyard, the ones with the single pole, and they spun around, they had the lines on them. You remember those? Well, my brother and I decided that we would make a merry-go-round for the cat. It was a rather fast merry-go-round, and the point was to attempt to try and get the cat uh, to see if it could walk in a straight line after said merry-go-round ride. <laughs> Poor kitty cat. No harm befell the cat used in this analogy. And so I, I remember as we were spinning the clothesline, we're laughing and we're hearing the... My dad came home early. And I remember the look on his face, and it wasn't, oh, that's really cute. It was, you're going to die. <laughs> my name is Indigo Montoya. <laughs> uh, he he, he kind of looked at me and my brother like, you guys know better than this. And so we went to the garage, and the rod of correction was applied to the seat of knowledge The only problem was we couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) And so we didn't quite have the forgiveness, and it didn't end there. We were still kind of at odds with Dad. And and though we'd been punished, and though we'd been forgiven in the sense that he wasn't going to do anything else to us, the relationship was not okay. Because it wasn't genuine, we're still giggling. So in that sense, we were ongoing in our sin. You see, judicially, he wasn't really going to do anything else, but relationally, we were still not okay with that. That's what the Lord's talking about. He wants to have a right relationship with you, and you want to have a right relationship with him. In order to understand these principles, I think it's important because there are five words used in the New Testament, used in the Greek language, to describe sin. Um, olathema is, is, a, is the word that's used here. It's debt. And it almost always applies to uh, that which is, is a not good attempt to do what's right. Hamartia is, a, is the one that's the absolute most common. And, and it describes something that's uh, really used most often as an archery term. It means to just simply miss the mark. Peraptoma is, is the word trespass. In other words, you, you kind of mm, you know that it's a, not supposed to go over that line, but you do it anyway. It's Intentional. It's really something that you, you knew what was right and you didn't do it. And then there's parabasis, which is a, is a term that means to transgress. Not only did you know it was wrong and you did what is wrong, but you did it with some vim and some vigor. And then there's anomia. And anomia is, is the worst of all of them because it comes actually from an evil intent of heart. In other words, you not only know what's wrong... And you're going to go ahead and do it, but you're doing it with forethought and malice. And you'll love it. it. It's, this is, I'm going to engage in this behavior. This is me. It's who I am. And so, as you look at these words, it's important to understand what the Lord is saying here. Because he's talking about a debt that ultimately becomes a moral and a spiritual debt, it's not a physical debt. It's not that you owe God money, it's not that you owe him penance, it's you have morally transgressed what he told you was wrong, and you've done it anyway, and you've done it with some intent and some forethought. You understand that it was wrong. You didn't just kind of sort of miss, you missed with at least some intent, And because of that, you now have a fracture in the relationship. You see, that debt has to be paid. It demands to be paid. And so, judicially, when God looks at that debt, he says the penalty, the ultimate penalty, because the wages of sin is death. Amen? The judicial penalty is taken care of at the cross of Christ. But there's still the lingering effects of the disobedience. And your disobedience causes problems in your relationship. And it does the same thing in daily life for you. If you want God's blessing in your life, obedience is the path to that blessing. You have to do what He says. And when you don't, you need to agree with Him that you're wrong. You don't join in the justification game. And so he says, forgive our debts. You see, at the end of Paul's life, he admitted, there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, there in verse 15, faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, amen? And then he says something pretty amazing, of whom I am chief. This is the Apostle Paul. It's near the end of his time on this earth, near the end of his ministry. And he says, Look, I'm the chief of sinners. That's why when people come to me and say, Well, you know, I I gave my life to Jesus, so I'm no longer a sinner, I look them in the eye and I say, What Bible are you reading? You're just a saved sinner, you're still a sinner. You're a sinner who is saved by grace, but you're still a sinner. And you still have the capacity to mess up your relationship with God the Father. You you still have the ability to disappoint him. To outright do the wrong thing. Now, he's not looking at you any longer judicially to say, look, well, that's it. You're out of the kingdom. But I guarantee you, your line of communication is now fractured. It's broken and God's waiting for that line of communication to be restored so that your relationship can be what it's supposed to be. You see, sin has contaminated every human being. That degenerative power that we all experience makes us susceptible to all kinds of things, including, I believe, and certainly mentally and emotionally, See how this affects your mind? The person who is bound up in sin is actually affected mentally, emotionally, often even physically. Probably most of you in this room know someone who struggles with bitterness that's resorted uh, in their life to to a pool of hate and anger and anguish. And they carry that around and it has physical ramifications in their life. You see, you can't pull all your parts apart. You are are a, a spiritual being and you are a mental, emotional being and you are a physical being and they're all linked together. And God has forgiven us of our past sins and he wants to forgive us of our present sins so we can maintain that wonderful new relationship that he gave us by grace and through faith. Sin is that common denominator in every crime, in every theft, every lie, every murder, every bit of immorality, every sickness, every pain, every sorrow of heart. At the root of it is sin. And so the Lord is, is talking to us about the sins that we're actually still engaged in. Now praise God, though I am not sinless, I do sin a lot less. Amen? I pray that's you. It's certainly me. I can tell you I'm not as good a sinner as I once was. And I'm grateful for it. And all glory and honor and power belongs to our God for that that wonderful victory over flesh. But there are still things that, that get into each one of our lives for which we need this restorative forgiveness. We do get contaminated. We do get... Uh, into conversations where we shouldn't hear. I mean, how many people have, have been dipped in a little sin of gossip? A little sin of slander? A little sin of vanity? Vanity's a sin. Some of us, a little sin of too much pecan pie. There's all kinds of ways to transgress the things that God has spoken to us. You see, we need to remember that God wants to clean up those things too. Not just your judicial position that he's made you right by grace and through faith, but your actual relationship that's affected right now tonight. Because the air's not quite clear between you and God. There's a little bit of stain that exists in your relationship. A little bit of strain that's come from that stain. Though we've been forgiven the ultimate penalty of sin, we still need that constant forgiveness to keep our relationship bright and shining and wonderful and new and vibrant. You see, because you can't walk around carrying a garbage bag full of trash ...and expect God to just overlook it. He wants you unweighted from the bondage of unforgiveness. And you can be bound in unforgiveness by your own sin... ...and the unforgiveness of it... ...and by the unforgiveness that you harbor towards other people for their sin. And so he commands... ...that we be forgiven. It is conditional if you want to have the right relationship with him, oh, you'll make it to heaven, but you'll be miserable on earth. When we talk about those two kinds of forgiveness, there's actually two Greek words that are used for forgiveness. Cherizomai is that, is that grace forgiveness that comes to us by the sacrifice that was made for us on Calvary's cross. You have received cherizomai. God's all-sufficient grace in your life. And because of that grace, you've received positional forgiveness that is unconditional. It's a gift. It comes to you absolutely without question and you walk in that forgiveness as a redeemed child of God. But there is a second word and it's used here in this passage. And it's aphasis. Aphasis is the type of of forgiveness that comes to you that is absolutely conditional, that leads to your being blessed. It absolutely is conditional. That's why he tells us we need to also be forgivers ourselves. Give you a little clue. You cannot give keresomai to anyone because you're not Jesus Christ. But you can give aphasis. You can say, because I want to have a restored and right relationship, I want to give the forgiveness that I need myself because I want my relationship with God and with you to be all that it can be. And so he gives us two wonderful ways to understand forgiveness. One, absolutely unconditional. By grace and through faith. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? It allows you now to possess, to be cloaked in, bathed in, washed over to have a heart that's guarded by the righteousness of Christ. Your debt of sin paid for by him, the ransom has been paid. Your life has been brought from the brink of death and you've been brought into the marvelous light and and you now can just walk in that as a child of God. But you absolutely can damage your relationship still with God the Father on a daily basis, not positionally, but relationally. You're saying, look, well, I don't really want to do things your way, God. And so you get the penalty of carrying around your own decision to transgress what he said. Have you ever met someone who's in open rebellion to God, who's a Christian? Are they not some of the most miserable people you've ever met? Because they know they're not okay with God. They know that that forgiveness is not there in that sense. Oh, they're still redeemed, still going to heaven, but they're going to get in as if by fire. And when they get there and he stand at the, the Bema seat before the Lord and he judges their works, the things done in this body, whether they're good or bad, there's not going to be much gold and silver. There's going to be a whole lot of wood, hay, and stubble. And they're going to kind of hang their head and go, oh, I so could have done better. And there'll be regret, it'll be short lived. Because you're going to be in heaven. But you're going to be judged. You're going to give an account for every idle word you've ever uttered. Aphasis is necessary. You want those things cleaned up. You want them wiped out. This is a central picture in this particular Prayer. You see that ultimate penalty taken care of. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59 is just such a beautiful passage. It illustrates this point. Verse 1, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. There's nowhere that you can go. David said the same thing. Where can I go, O Lord, that I can hide from thee? That my, Thy face cannot find me. Whether I ascend into the heights of heaven or into the depths of hell, there you are. So, in that sense, God's hand's not shortened. He can reach to where you are, knows where you're going to go, nor is ear heavy that He cannot hear. Certainly He hears you. He hears the rebellious child just as much as He hears the unrebellious child. He still hears the voice of His children but he responds very differently to the voice of the obedient child than he does the disobedient child. And so if you want the voice of God back to you as a father who's well pleased, whom you have brought joy, then you want that daily junk forgiven. And because that's what you want and that's what you need, that's the way you're supposed to also live your life and treat others. So, unforgiveness is not something that should be in the life of any believer ever for any reason. And I want you to hear what I'm saying well. Any reason. Doesn't matter what your husband did. Doesn't matter what your wife did. If you carry around unforgiveness in your life, it will destroy you. God doesn't want you to walk in that destruction. He wants you to walk in the newness of life. He wants both that keresomai, which has brought you into the relationship, and the aphasis, which keeps that relationship vibrant, new, and wonderful. Always some of you can remember back when you first uh, became married. If you're here and you're married tonight, you remember that first year. Man, it just didn't even matter what happened in your relationship. It was just like this joyous kind of everything was new and wonderful. and You know, honey, you just backed over my foot. It was awesome. I've never had my foot crushed before. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that type of thing. And then after a while, you know, about the fourth time your foot gets backed over, you're kind of like, honey, are you, do you not? can't you see? You know, that really hurts. Put your foot over here. I'll show you. And before you know it, it's not quite so good. You see, when you first come to Christ, I, I believe there's, an, there's kind of like an additional grace period. Now, I can't prove this to you theologically, but I think that what happens is we're so in love with the Lord that we're just like, Lord, I'm just just useless, God, forgive me. And so we come and we get stuff squared away right away because we just don't want to mess up this new relationship and it kind of almost doesn't matter what, and you do it. But as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, all of a sudden you start hanging on to stuff that you used to get rid of pretty quick. You used to let go. And you used to let God. You see, that is where we need our help. And it is to that end that Jesus is now praying. You see, believers had experienced that once and for all, and you have as well, if you're here tonight, you're in Christ, you've experienced the judicial forgiveness. You received that the very moment you said yes to Jesus Christ. Praise God, amen? You know why I know that? Because anything else would be works. And we're not saved by works. Works can't save anyone. By the works of the flesh, no one is justified. Plain, absolute statement of the word of God. So I know that I was given that position. I'm a child of God. Don't deserve it, can't earn it. I've been declared pardoned, justified, righteous, and no one on this Earth, below this earth or in the heavens can take that from you. No one can snatch them out of my hand that are mine," Jesus said. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Amen. No weapon formed against us can. Proce- Amen. You see the position? The position as a child of God. you're golden. But boy, can we mess up the day-to-day stuff with, with God. And with people as well. Amen? It's what happens. I would turn your attention to John 13. If you want to turn there, verse 5. A very familiar passage to most of you. Remember, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. It's a demonstration of this humility, serving spirit that we're to have, that we should follow. And at first, Peter basically refuses for Jesus to wash his feet. He said, if if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter goes on to the other extreme, and Jesus then replies, for he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. You see, he who has bathed, someone who's already been positionally washed and made white and cleansed and is one of God's kids. Somebody who's already a believer doesn't need that kind of a bath again. But what you do need, because you're going to blow it, you're going to biff it, you hope you won't, you pray you don't, but you're going to, you're going to mess up every once in a while. What you do need is what follows. You are clean, not all of you, of course, he's speaking, Judas is still there. For he knew that one would betray him, and for this reason he said not all of you are clean. You see, this act of foot washing... Kind of gives us a picture into the Lord Jesus, what he's saying. You see, as they came in, Jesus had taken this position of the lowest slave. And he said, here's what I want to do for you. I want to take the dirt of the day off your feet. I want to remove the muck and the mire and the manure. You see, you were believers when you came in here, but I want to give you a picture of what you need to do with each other every day. Because your relationship's going to get dirty. You're going to get some manure on your feet. You're probably going to put something on the ground someone else is going to step in. You're going to pick up the junk of the world because you're traveling through it. You're going to get some dirt on you. And we need to wash that stuff. We need to cleanse that. And so he says, Look, I, I, I want to wash your feet. I want to take even that stuff off. God is eager to forgive. He's eager to cleanse. He wants, Jesus wants to have a restored, perfectly functioning relationship with us. And so he says, Look, Father, forgive us our debts. Take away the stuff that we drag around with us every day. Hundreds of years before the Lord, Nehemiah wrote in Nehemiah 9, verse 17, speaking of the children of Israel, they refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders, O God, that you did among them. But they hardened their necks as in their rebellion, and they appointed a leader to return them to their bondage. You see, unforgiveness is bondage. Unforgiveness is bondage. You walk around in that unforgiveness and you carry it and it taints everything about you. It taints your voice, it taints your words, it taints the very substance of your emotional chemistry. Your makeup is affected by carrying around unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness almost instantaneously transitions to bitterness And scripture reminds us that bitterness is as rottenness to our bones. It literally corrodes the interior substance of the structure of humankind. But you are God, Nehemiah said, ready to pardon. Gracious. Now this is rebellion. Rebellion is intentional. It's knowing It's already understanding it's wrong and doing it anyway. But you, God, are ready to pardon gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. You see, our response very often to people who offend us, people who sin against us, is to cut them off. I'll just never talk to them again. Can I remind you that that solves absolutely nothing? It solves absolutely nothing. It only forestalls the inevitable. And that is you'll carry around that bitterness, you'll carry around that hurt, you'll bury it inside. And as you walk around with it, it will rot what remains. It will be leaven that leavens the whole lump. That's how vast and how persuasive sin can be in our lives. But praise God how much greater is his forgiveness. Amen? There is nothing that God can't forgive. Nothing he can't cleanse. Nothing that he wants you to hang on to. And can I share with you a pain of my heart? When people come and, and I'm counseling with them and they say the words, I am not going to forgive. That is the equivalent of saying, I want my life to be hell. I want my life to be miserable. I want to keep my sin. And I want to stay separated from God. Because your sins, Isaiah said, have separated you from God so he does not hear. He's waiting for you to get right so you can have a right relationship with him. Then he does that work of the removal of the junk, the washing of the dirt. But he doesn't do it automatically. Positionally, yes. You're going to heaven. But relationally, he's waiting for you to ask for the athesis. I want to have my relationship restored with you, God. I want to know what it's like to walk in the abundant blessings of your mercy raining down in my life and your forgiveness, bathing me and cleansing me and washing me and taking away the stain of the junk that I'm carrying around. G. Campbell, Morgan tells a story in his commentary on this particular passage said so he was approached once by a miner who said he'd give anything to believe that God would forgive sins. He said, but I cannot believe that he will forgive me if I just turn to him. It's just simply too cheap. Dr. Morgan said to him, he says, you were working in the mine today, is that correct? He said, yes. He said, well, how did you get out? He said, well, the usual way. I got into the cage and I was pulled to the top. Campbell Morgan asked him, he said, well how much did you pay to get out of the pit? He said, nothing. Didn't pay anything. Weren't you afraid to get in that cage? He said. He said, was it, was it not too cheap? He said, oh no. It, it cost the mine company a great deal of money to sink that shaft to get to where we were working. You see, it cost Jesus' life. To get the shaft of grace to where you are working. And He didn't pull you up so you could be miserable. He didn't lift you out of the miry clay so that you could remain in the dirt. He pulled you out of the miry clay so you could walk in freedom, in love, in joy, in peace, in thankfulness, in goodness, in mercy cleansed, fully understanding the redemption that he's given you. You see where sin abounds, as Romans tells us there in chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There's, there's no cost that Christ wouldn't pay to take care of it. So let him really take care of it. Not just the positional part but the relational part. Forgive me of the junk from today. And so this is a plea really for the mercy of God to be evident in our life. And you know what? As, as First John reminds us there in, in chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. Amen? You don't get forgiveness automatically. You need to actually ask him for it. You see, you're going to go to heaven, but you're going to be miserable while you're on earth if you don't ask. You walk around, that stuff, that junk, that old nature is going to really have some painful moments for you. It's difficult to confess our sin. Satan doesn't want you to do it. This world doesn't want you to do it. Very often, your own flesh doesn't want to do it. Amen? We want to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. It's a woman you gave me, Lord. It wasn't me. It was a snake. Couldn't help myself. You know how I am with whispering snakes. Oh, Lord, you know, at least you could have given me someone who would watch out for me. Yeah, we blame everyone and everything. The only problem is that justification of that action doesn't fix the problem. Matter of fact, it adds another stain to the already stained cloth. Now you're standing around, you've got something else that you need to get cleaned up. Something else that needs to happen to be gotten rid of. And when you talk to people, who especially those who are in mental health, Very often it's the cumulative effects of carrying around baggage that destroys people's minds. They have garnered all this garbage, so to speak, and they've carried around so long that it has buried them underneath the weight and the pain of all of that stuff. And they no longer feel like there's a way to push through it, to push past it, to get over it, to get out of it. And the Lord's simply saying, well, don't let it collect in the first place. Take care of it. Ask him to wash it away. When I confess, let me clear up a misnomer here. The word confess, it implies action on your part. It's necessary. But God's ready, willing, and able. He wants you to actually get rid of it. So it's not like you have to go into a lot of detail you say, Lord, I blew it. I messed up here. You don't need to give God your excuse as to why you did it. God doesn't need your excuses. He doesn't need mine. You see, we do that with people. We justify why we did what we did. God already knows the intent of your heart. He knows exactly why you did what you did. And he still loves you anyway. Loves me anyway. true Christian doesn't see God's promise of forgiveness as a license to sin either. Amen? Not a license to sin. You don't want to test God's abounding grace. You may get to heaven, but you may get there pretty beat up. Pretty thrashed. Because he'll let you have the repercussions of the life that you live. If you want blessedness in your life, if you want God's very best, you must give him yours. There's no two ways about it. There's no way around it. You have to give him what he has desired of you. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He just wants you to say, yes, you're right, God. And I'm going to do it. So important to realize that we just simply need to ask Jesus gives this prerequisite for this forgiveness, and he says, as we have also forgiven our debtors. You see, there's an implication there. There is an implication there. There is a condition given, a prerequisite if you want to look at it that way. If you want to be squared up with God relationally, then you need to be squared up with other people relationally. You can't carry around all this stuff and be loving God and hating the ones whom he created. It doesn't work that way. You'll, you'll suffer the consequences of taking that type of attitude. That's why when, when we come to communion, we, we want to make sure that we're squared away, we're cleaned up, we've gotten rid of the trash, the garbage is gone. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, he said, some are sick and some have even died because of the junk they've brought to the communion table they're they're coming for forgiveness they're coming for cleansing they're coming to be washed they're coming to experience the power of the blood of the cross of Christ and they're saying yeah but I still hate my brother I can't stand my sister you know would you just deal with these people in my life I mean you know how they've treated me God and I'm not going to let it go until they make it right that's no way to come to the communion table We need to come as paupers, needy, desirous of the things of God in our lives in such a way that we recognize that only he can provide that forgiveness. And if we've received it, we need to give it. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. (laughs) Amen. Oh, man. The longer you walk with the Lord, I'll give you a little secret. doesn't matter how long you walk with the Lord, you're going to fully understand that you're carnal. But there's a little bit of you that still has that old sin nature you got from Adam, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand," Paul said. I don't even know why anybody else get that every once in a while? I have no idea why I did that. Don't have a clue. The problem is we actually do, but we kind of don't want to admit it. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. What I hate to do, that I do. If then what I will not to do, I, I do. I agree that the law is good, but now it's no longer I who did it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present within me, but to perform what is good, that I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do not what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. He said, this is the Apostle Paul saying, look, there are times when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I don't act the way I'm supposed to act. I don't say the things I'm supposed to say. Matter of fact, I say exactly the opposite of what I'm supposed to say. We need that cleared up. We need that cleaned up. That's why Paul reminds us we're to be kind one to another. Gentle, meek, humble, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Remember that study in Ephesians? The reason we do that is because that's what we ourselves have received. And that's what we need from him. So as Christians, how can we deny someone else what we ourselves need? It's unconscionable. That's an oxymoron. It's like, I have to have it myself, but I don't want you to get it. I need it absolutely, but I'm going to keep you from getting to that part. One could say that that's not even Christ. That's, that's not Jesus. Jesus. Because God's character is, is reflected in his gracious forgiveness. And, and forgiving other people expresses that highest virtue in our human selves. Let's just say, look, this is as much like Jesus as I can be. When I forgive someone, when I say, look, Lord, I, I'm just, I don't even know how to do this, but God, would you help me forgive and forget it? And let it go and release it. And God, I'm giving it to you. I don't know how to do that. I need you to help me do that. That is so much like Jesus. I I believe that the lack of receiving and giving forgiveness is the root of a vast majority of, of what we would call psychological problems in our world. People just buried in unforgiveness. They're crippled by it. You see, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the psalmist David said, Psalm 66, the Lord will not hear. If I hang on to unforgiveness in my own life, if I hang on to iniquity in my own life, if I'm not cleaning up where I need to clean up, then I'm going to have some issues with that relational forgiveness that I need. You see, the Holy Spirit can't work freely among us as we carry grudges and harbor hate and bear bitterness and resentment. Holy Spirit is hindered in working in your life when you carry those things around. And you talk to people that have carried around bitterness for a long time, you will find a very, very consistent story that tells of someone who's racked of emotional, mental, and even physical pain. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 says, And now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak all the same thing. There be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together, the same mind, the same judgment. For it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of the house of Chloe's household, that there were contentions among you. And now they say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Is there one kind of forgiveness for you and another kind of forgiveness for somebody else? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 said there's one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism. There's one. There's one kind of forgiveness that we all need. It's His, and it comes in two parts. You see, those unrepentant sins, those things that we harbor, absolutely will bury you. I would close with this. Notice now the elaboration, verse 14. This is outside of the disciples' prayer now. Jesus has said amen, but in verse 14, as we look at it, it says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now he can't possibly be talking about salvation because at that point salvation would become a work. It would be based on something you have to do in order to receive God's grace. It can't be that. So you know what he's talking about. He's talking about what happens to you between you and God is directly affected by what happens between you and the people you know. The people you love, people you care for, people you don't love, the people you don't care for. It's directly affected. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not, notice he states it two ways, positive, negative. He wants to make sure we get this. He's already said, look, you have to be a forgiver. And now what does he say? But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses crazy you see if we want to walk out in the bondage we can God's not going to make you be a forgiver but he wants you to be a forgiver he wants you to be someone that says whatever the debt is I'm letting it go Because your debt was more than you could pay and God let it go. You see, the model is the positional forgiveness. The model is, look, this is what you've received. I've given you complete forgiveness and I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to make you right before me. I'm going to pay the penalty of your sins. I'll take care of all of that. That becomes the model. And then he says, here's what I want you to do with that. When someone sins against you, you forgive them. Because that keeps the relationship right. And you have peace as best it lies with us. We're to live at peace with all men. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, and I'll leave you with a little story and we'll close in prayer. Charles Bracelet Flood, great Civil War book, if you like Civil War books. After the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited Kentucky, went to a lady's house, a farmhouse that had been heavily damaged in the fighting during the Civil War. Remains of a very large, grand magnolia tree. If you've been to the South and you've seen these huge magnolia trees, they're just absolutely stunningly magnificent provide shade, they have these blossoms, they smell incredible in the springtime. Crazy, beautiful tree. And very often what would happen... Uh, during that time, is, is when you built a homestead, you would normally plant a tree outside basically the front yard, which would eventually become the gathering place. They had no air conditioning, so they would go out in the summer months and sit underneath that tree and the wind could blow through and you would smell the magnolia blossoms and the tree would cover you with shade. It was like the world's best gazebo. During the Civil War, the Union Army had shelled that particular city and it Damaged that tree to the point that it, it was nothing more than a, a, a tall stump with limbs on it. And she complained to Robert E. Lee. She looked up at the tree and just railed on the Union Army about what they'd done, expecting that he would give some type of a, a condolence to her, perhaps rail on the north for what had been done to the South during that horrific war. And instead he looked her in the eye and he says, ma'am, I suggest you cut it down. Why would he say that? Because it was a reminder to her of something she could not change. All of the anger and all of the bitterness towards the north wasn't going to restore what had happened during the Civil War. The damage had been done to her city. The loved ones had been lost. They were already gone. And yet she clung to the bitterness of staring at that tree as a source of keeping the hate and the anger. He went on to say, It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than to allow them to remain. To let bitterness take root will poison the rest of your life. Friends, don't let unforgiveness poison the rest of your life. Forgive others' debts as you yourself have been forgiven. Let them go. And let God do what God needs to do. Amen? We're going to have some prayer warriors here. I am going to dismiss everyone. Because we are going to do our event. uh, Packing the boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So I don't want to deprive people being prayed for. Maybe you're carrying around some unforgiveness. Maybe something uh, is just gnawing at the depths of your soul. We don't want to exclude that time of prayer but I really do want to also give you an opportunity because it is that time to go and to begin to just enjoy the goodness of the Lord together as we prepare those, those shoeboxes of love. So we will have some of the prayer team up here. If you need to be prayed for, please do come. But remember this. The forgiveness that you give is the forgiveness that you get. And the forgiveness that you get is what cleans up your relationship with God. And if that's how your relationship with him gets cleansed, it's also how your relationship with other people gets cleansed. And you want both those things well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, so grateful are we tonight that positionally we're found cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, that you have done this amazing work in us of making us white as wool. And Lord, we surely don't deserve that. But God, there are times when we walk through the muck and the mire, the manure of this world. Lord, our feet get dirty, our hands become tainted, our minds think thoughts we shouldn't think. And we entertain ideas that should not be in the heart or the mind of a believer. And so we ask, God, for you to cleanse us. Renew us, make us fresh, wipe us down, God. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you modeled this as you washed the feet of the disciples, Lord. They were already your your disciples, but they'd sure gotten dirty from the world and you wanted them to be clean so that the fellowship could be sweet. And so, Lord, we ask, that you do that in us. Lord, cleanse us. We want to lay down our burdens. We want to put down the things that we've clung to. And God, for those that maybe even tonight are carrying some measure of bitterness, maybe some anger, some hurt of the past, you're the one that can set us free. You can unyoke us from that terrible burden. And so we ask that you'd do that. Pray that you bless us. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us with your goodness. Lord, make us quick to forgive. Help us to not keep long accounts, Lord, of the things of the past. Lord, help us to put them where you put them. You remember our transgressions no longer. You you put them in the depths of the sea. They are as far away from you as the east is from the west. Lord, help us to do that with each other. With those in our lives. We love you. We praise you. We bless you, we thank you, and God's people also. Amen.